Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 266 of Dogcast Radio. You can find this and all our episodes at dogcastradio.com. Later on, I'll be telling you the most important command you can teach your dog, which might just save their life. And spoiler alert, it's not sit. More of that later. But now we have a fantastic guest who enjoys so many great activities with her dogs, including painting, yes, painting, and her dog helps her cheat at pub games. I'm talking to Melissa Stagnaro, who is the Vice President of the American Rettungshund Sport Association. So without further ado, let's say hello to Melissa and start by talking about what's at the heart of Dogcast Radio. Dogs. Currently, I have two dogs. I have a Dutch Shepherd dog that's uh, coming up on 13 years old. And I have a German short-haired pointer that is uh, turned two recently. Wow. You have your hands full. They're, they're action dogs, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> or they want to be action dogs. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's easier if I had, you know, two active dogs or two old dogs. Taking, taking both out on outings is then a balancing act. Yes, they're quite different needs, different uh, times of life, aren't they? But, but still both needing lots of um, enrichment and stimulation. Yep. So... Yep. I know you, you and your dogs enjoy lots of activities, but let's get to your sort of your passion, first of all, because you're highly involved, aren't you, with search and rescue. So I know very, very little about search and rescue. So tell me about search and rescue. Yes, thank you. So I am currently the vice president of American Rettenhoon Sport Association. So um, we are one of the American organizations that participate in sport search and rescue. So it's actually uh, an international sport. So it's fairly new to the U.S. We're just building it up in this country. But all over Europe, Asia, South Africa, Australia has been doing sports search and rescue uh, for a couple decades. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so, a, it's a, sorry, it's a great activity for dogs. Isn't it? I would, I'm so enthusiastic. I, I cut across you there, but sorry. But it is a great activity for dogs because to get their nose working, it's, it's satisfying for them, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the, the activity of search and rescue, right, is great for dogs and handlers. It gets people out. It gets their dogs working scent, which is very sa- satisfying to dogs. The sport search and rescue has no conflicting exercises with actual search and rescue. So, in fact, outside the U.S., it's very common for people to use the sport as their foundation for their actual community search and rescue teams. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, That's less often the case in the U.S. Hmm. But if you decide just to go the sport way, that opens it up to even more handlers, and more dogs. Sometimes dogs, you know, are maybe a bit unreliable around livestock mm-hmm. or deer, for instance. Yeah. So you wouldn't want to actually say I could find a for real lost person. Yes. Yeah. But in the sport, you know, it is a bit artificial, you know, so we can kind of control the venue and if there happens to be a deer that pops through your search area your dog gets distracted 
Well, it's not an actual lost person that your dog is being torn off of, you know, so you would not pass that day, of course, but you would just call out to the lost person to come back and no harm is done. There are six scent options. Hmm. Um, So that also opens it up to almost every dog. So we do precision tracking where the dog is very close to the footfalls. We do area search, which is also like sometimes referred to as live find wilderness. Mm -hmm. So depending on the level, you have one, two or three people in a wooded area. We also do uh, all of our searches are for live people. We don't do any human remains in Mm -hmm. the sport. Uh, You could also do rubble work, which picture like a collapsed building. Mm -hmm. So again, depending on the level, there would be one, two or three live people hidden. New since 2019 is man trailing. Yeah. So it differs a bit from tracking because the aging of the trail is much longer. Man trailing dogs use ground disturbance, which the tracking dogs also use. But man trailing dogs also use air scent. Yeah. Less often held at trials. You could also do avalanche. So you have the person buried in snow and uh, also water. So, again, we only search for live people. So the water work in this is more like the the Labrador or the Newfoundland swimming out with a life preserver to someone who is pretending to be drowning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I imagine the dogs. I mean, I imagine the handlers love it, but I imagine the dogs really, really love it. Yeah, definitely dogs are very satisfied at the end of a good training day. And one of the things I love about this is, you know, it's, it's, it can be quite difficult, particularly if you have a high energy dog and, and both of yours are high energy dogs. It can be difficult to really give them um, an outlet for that energy. And I know that standing and throwing a ball, you know, just throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. It's it can physically tire the dog, but it can sort of get them in a really heightened state. And it's not, it's not the best activity emotionally and mentally for them, is it? But whereas sniffing like this, it's, it's physical workout, it's mental workout. It's a really, but it doesn't, it's a really good workout, but it doesn't sort of get them into an over, um, overstimulated state, does it? No, that's true. And for the sport, someone who is only interested in the search work could enter a competition only in the scent work. Hmm. But to do the full title, there's an obedience dexterity component that you would do separately, either later the same day or on a different day Hmm. from the scent work. So a lot of high drive, high energy dogs throwing the ball mindlessly or, you know, some of the other adrenaline sports that are popular in the U S tend to give them, get them a bit more aroused. Yes. Yeah. But so we have the scent work, which is great to satisfy their needs. And then we also have obedience, which works them mentally in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the obedience exercises, most of them are, are very common, healing, a long stay, things like that. Uh, We have some dexterity items. Hmm like going through a tunnel or walking on a plank 
to have the dog be sure-footed, particularly if they're going to do rubble. But yeah. out in the woods, there could be fallen logs or something, and the dog has to know they have back legs and understand how their body works so they can be safe. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know your your dogs, you may, you work to make sure they're they're fit and able to cope with the activities that they do, don't you? I do, I do. Uh, so as you mentioned, and as we might keep talking, you know, I like the very high drive dogs. I will say for actual search and rescue work, as well as the sport search and rescue, I have seen some fabulous teams with more middle of the road dogs. Hmm. So, you know, they don't have to be the over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Toy crazy. Go, go, go. Um, there's been some excellent teams of all kind of drive levels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, is it something, you know, would you say, I mean, for example, we have a little um, German Spitz client. She's like a little Pomeranian, little fluffy dog. But you know, she loves having a game of, oh, there's something hidden in these boxes or something hidden in the grass in the garden or, you know, anything like that. And having a good old sniff. Would you say, whatever dog you've got, go and have a try. See whether they like it. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we have we have some short-legged terriers that do this. And we had a seminar. And we had a toy poodle that rocked it. <laughs> brilliant, that dog brilliant. was so awesome and so confident on the dexterity equipment. We have a, a horizontal ladder yeah. that's at the higher levels of competition. The dog had never did it. First time, it was, you know, a little slow going. And the second time, it was, you know, true circus dog toy poodle yeah. action. Wow, And it brilliant. did excellent scent work too. Um, so there's not, um, there's not significant, uh, physical demanding. And so sometimes also retired sport dogs really enjoy this. You know, they can't do the climbing wall or, 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 jump after jump after jump after jump, but they still, the handlers love teaching them new things. The dogs love being with their handler. So this is also a great activity for maybe some older dogs that have tons of skills. Um, Teach them just a few more things and jump into the training right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from my Labrador, you know, when I was just thinking as you were saying that we, we taught him um, sign language. So he, Buddy lost his hearing and, and I actually started teaching him um, when he was three sign language. And I'm so glad I did because when he was older and he lost his hearing, we could still communicate. I could still say to him, okay, not make him chase a ball, but sort of say, okay, I'm going to hide something over here. You go and find it. And he felt, you know, you could see him going, I'm doing a job. I'm doing good here, you know, and I, they do get a real kick out of that. And that's, that's brilliant. Um, and it sounds like you can tailor it to your dog's needs so it can be sort of less or more demanding or you know that so you can have a go with an older dog or you know a physically challenged dog or you know that kind of thing yeah definitely so since we have so many search options you know some might be better for some dogs versus others and you know if the obedience is not your thing you don't have to do it um so it can appeal to to nearly all dog handler teams. Yeah, we had a, a a guy who was training. Unfortunately, he moved away, but he had a miniature pincher, Ooh. and then you know that dog did you know 
all the tasks do, and it was a very fun dog. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. You know, it's interesting, but some, I won't say all, I know not all of them, but some, many, let's say, of those smaller breeds were bred for a purpose. And in their little heads, I mean, I have to say this with with our mischief, with um, our German Spitzkind, you know, her, her larger ancestors were used to herd reindeer. And she is much closer in her work drive, if you like, to the Border Collie we had than the Labrador we had. You know, the Labrador, his priority was, who can I meet? Who can I get a fuss from? You know, <laughs> and I'll do the thing you want me to do. But yeah, who, who can I meet now? Whereas mischief's much more like, what can we do now? Come on, can we? And she likes meeting people, but she likes doing activities and being with us and working her brain. And you can just tell that. And I think we do smaller dogs a disservice if we think their only, their only desire is to sort right. of sit on our lap and sit on a sofa. And you, I'm sure they appreciate that, but they do want some active time, don't they? Yeah. And it's, it's so fun to see how different breeds learn and different individual dogs learn. Yeah. And, and, you know, the things some dogs pick up super quick and some are slower, but it's, it's fascinating to work them through the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, saying that you have gone for different breeds, haven't you? And you've enjoyed seeing the difference, the different way they, they work and, and approach tasks, haven't you? Yeah. A lot of people were surprised when I didn't get another Malinois or Dutch Shepherd. And I will say the German short hair, his brain works differently for sure. (laughs) And, you know, before the Dutchie, I had lurchers and and their brain worked super different. And and I've had uh, coonhounds and all different breeds. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's fascinating to to get to know a dog like that. And I do think that they have their own little opinions. I can remember watching Buddy and he had a toy, a toy boot, and he was trying to stand it up on a sandpit in the garden and it kept falling off and he'd try and stand it up. I don't know what he was thinking, what was going on in his little mind, but he definitely had some kind of deliberate plan. He was doing something. And I think that's great to give dogs an outlet for that. But it's, it's certainly great to watch them doing that. For sure. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy dog training is to, trying to understand how their mind is working. Yeah, yeah. Now, with the scent work, you're very much a team, aren't you, with your dog? So it's not just, um, you know, go, go on, find, or you go and have a good sniff and find find things. It's particularly when you're actually looking for an active find, you know, when you're actually really searching for something. You have to watch their body language, don't you, and read, try and try and discern as well as you can what they're thinking from how they're reacting, don't you? Oh, for sure, as- uh, in in the lot off leash, you know, wood search or collapsed building search, you know, you're you're directing them somewhat, saying, "Oh, we haven't searched in this sector," or you know, but you're also watching. You know, sometimes the dog will give you know a small a small head whip, yeah, and then if you can able to you know watch a lot of things at the same time, thinking about what the wind was doing right before that head whip and thinking, well, okay, maybe the person is hidden here. Maybe they got just a little bit of a whiff, but they're not certain. Yeah. So then you can help, you know, through obedience, direct them to that area and either they'll say, oh, no, it was old odor or, oh, yes, in fact, the person was here. Yeah. Um, tracking you know, the precision tracking when when done well 
the dog is very tight on the footfalls. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit less reading of the dog there. Um, but man trailing, I was working a trail just a week or so ago and it was doable, but, you know, at a difficulty level because I was pushing the dog mm-hmm. and I was uh, video recording it so I could, you know, watch my performance and the dog's performance later. Yeah. And there was this slight breeze. The dog was standing still trying to figure out where to move. The slightest of a breeze. And then he got right back on the trail. And, mm. you know, in real time, I was able to notice that somewhat. And then by watching the video, then it's training my eye, yes. you know, for future trails to be even more aware of the wind. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a mental workout for you as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Now, I know that you actually put that your, your, and, um, Oh, yes. Tell us the names of your dogs. <laughs> uh, my Dutch Shepherd's name is Super Clued, and uh, my short hair's name is uh, Boozy Tim. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. OK, so I know that you and Boozy Tim, you actually put your, your search, searching skills to, to good use in a practical way. So tell me about um, Woodcock Banding. Yes, yeah, so he's he is a pointing dog. He comes from, you know, working lines pointing birds. Yeah. And so one of the activities I wanted to try with him was woodcock banding. So it's basically like hunting, but you know, without the gun and you do it in the spring. So you would go to likely habitat and the dog would be off leash, nearly always with a bell or a beeper collar because the the habitat that woodcock prefer is fairly dense with trees. Uh, mm. So it would be hard for me just to see him. Yeah, It's not a wide open field. Um, and he also wears a GPS tracking collar um, that helps me locate him. But then if we locate a hen on some eggs, then I would mark it with my GPS. So I banned birds locally through for a, a fish and wildlife national service. Um, and I have hooked up with a Minnesota based banding group. And so there was a lot of education for me hmm. um, and a lot of education for the dog. Yeah. Uh, we've been out uh, two seasons, um, you know, when he was about one year old and when he was about two year old. Yeah. So we haven't uh, gotten the timing down perfectly to be able to be there when he has chicks on the gr- when there's chicks on the ground. Mm. Uh, but we've definitely enjoyed the searching. Yeah. And it, it's it's a helpful conservation tool. Yeah. Um, to have the band. And then if later the bird either through hunting or perhaps it would run into a building or something else, then someone would find the bird and, you know, read off the band. There is an Eastern migration of woodcock and a Midwest migration of woodcock. Hmm. As the budget allows, some of the banders are putting basically little book bags on the birds and their GPS trackers that have about a, a nine month battery. Wow. So they're getting actually data points, Yeah, you know, which is, 
more helpful for research than the bands, but obviously they're a lot more expensive. Yes. Yeah. But that, I mean, this fascinates me because it seems to me it's such a big ask of the dog, you know, to be at times independent, at times you may not be able to see them too well. And then they're finding these fascinating little birds, <laughs> and but they mustn't interact with them. I mean, it, it's, I'm, I'm full of admiration for the dogs because that's quite a big the, the self-restraint and, and, you know, the concentration level in that, that's a, that's a huge ask really, isn't it? Yeah. And I will say the, the certified uh, banding groups, again, put a lot of education into the people yes, and yeah. test the dogs very extensively. Yeah. Um, when I was preparing him for the test, some of my training buddies were like, well, that doesn't seem fair that you're kind of throwing the bird in his face. And I said, well, we're training for woodcock banding yeah. and I need him to be sure he doesn't make any mistakes. Sometimes when you're out there in the spring, he might point a male and the male will just leave. If he's pointing a hen, the hen, if she has eggs or is feeling broody or has chicks, will fly away to lure him away yeah. And so that's extremely enticing, you know, for a predator. That That's her whole point. Yeah. yeah. To, to get, you know, a fox or a raccoon or some sort of canid away from her babies. Yeah. And so the the certified banding dogs have to be obedient enough to not be tempted by her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a really, really important part, uh, really important point that detection dogs or, or how how you want to describe them that these dogs who sent who you sent to do locate uh wildlife they and the handler really need to be on top of their game and respectful of the animals they're interacting with don't they they need to be certified they need to be officially assessed and you can't just get out there with your dog and sort of go oh come on we'll go and see if we can find anything you this is this is a professional the dog's got to be professional level haven't they yes i mean and you know, we make sure that the dogs stay solid. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the the German pointing breeds have a bit of a more difficulty than the English hmm. pointing breeds. So the, the setters and the, the pointers tend to need a little bit less training. They're a little bit more reserved, okay. whereas the, yeah. the German... Uh, breeds tend to have a little more oh maybe I could dish- <laughs> no so no no not allowed <laughs> oh yeah yeah but I mean also you need to know what you're doing so that you in by detecting these species you're not endangering them at all don't you well that's true and also in in the spring in Minnesota it it, it could be it could be cold but you know that wouldn't be the optimal time where you would find hens on eggs, um, although it, it could happen with the weather out there. But it's it's often quite warm, a lot of brambles and, you know, things that the dog has to be in good physical condition and, and you as well. So I also have to read just from his body language, is he maybe interested in a woodcock? Is there maybe a woodcock nearby? Or is there another bird species yeah so oftentimes rough grouse likes the same habitat Mm. but the grouse 
since they're not a migratory species, there's not that interest to band them in the spring. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't want to waste his time or my time so much with a grouse. So it, it is a lot of observation, and especially given the the, the density of the trees, yes. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a challenge. And and unfortunately, he's not a German short hair that's mostly white. He he's quite dark brown, so. A little bit harder even Aww. then to see him. <laughs> well, that leads nicely into the next activity we're going to talk about because I was, I was going to say, you could paint him. <laughs> you could paint him <laughs> at the end of his tail white. But that leads us into painting because, believe it or not, <laughs> you and, and it was uh, Clued, wasn't it, have painted. Yeah, so so Clued is retired from dog sports. Mm-hmm. And actually at this point, he's also retiring retired from painting. But a friend of mine said, yeah, you know, he, he did all his activity and then like an old man, he went on to painting and then <laughs> he doesn't even do that anymore. Um, but yes, yeah, so we painted for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, we gave away nearly all our paintings. He, he did get a couple commissions, which were funny, oh. but um but yeah, so a few of his paintings, uh, I gave them to fundraising groups, either for uh, uh, police dogs or search and rescue dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his paintings actually auctioned off for over $9,000. I mean, wow. it was obviously toward the charity. But, yeah, uh, but that's, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he could have earned his living. <laughs> but, well, so so when you say he he. Painted. I mean, because we we've messed about. We've done sort of. We've put. We blobbed some paint onto a little canvas. We've covered it with cling film. We've put peanut butter on the cling film, and Missy's licked it. And, and yeah, we said, "Oh, she's painted. Look, she's painted." So, but tell me. I mean, tell me how Clued paints. Yeah. So um, I got just kind of a normal painting paintbrush, and I attached a little a uh, T pvc point to it so he had something to hold on to from his mouth and uh we trained you know maybe a minute a week for over a year before i actually added paint um to make sure he was hitting the canvas with the paintbrush um and one of the the fascinating things so sometimes he would do vertical downward lines sometimes he would punch the the paintbrush into the canvas, but nearly all of his strokes were a curve and they were always left to right. And I don't think I was shaping left to right Mm -hmm. because in other, other actions of his life, he would always move left to right when we were, you know, sort of fake hurting with a big ball in the yard when he would come around to block it from moving forward, he would move that way. When we were doing protection sports, uh, some of the exercises had multiple decoys running at us. Hmm. And he would, even if he kind of wanted to bite the person on the left, when he was given a choice, he would always go to the one on the right. Hmm. Um, so he had a very strong orientation that way, which I just found so interesting watching him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You definitely get greater insights into your dog, don't you do these activities? Wow, <laughs> fascinating. And then another interesting activity you, you, you and your dogs get up to is cornhole. So tell me about that. 
Yeah, so I I, uh, I recently found out it's only a North American game. So yes. um, so a small a small explanation. Uh, so there's two boards about two feet wide and three and a half feet deep. They're on a small incline, maybe about thirty degrees, and at the higher point there is a hole, and so. Each team would get four bean bags. Um, you know, they'd be d- different color to for pointing purposes. And so the one team would try to throw their bean bag into the hole, and then the next person would try to throw their bean bag into the hole. And then either your bean bag went through the hole, or it landed on the board but did not go into the hole, or you missed entirely. Mm-hmm. So I have taught the German short hair. Uh, to play cornhole. Now he is a terrible cheater, but it is to my amusement. So he takes our bean bags and he runs over and he puts it in the hole. And then our, our competitor would take a turn. And if they do not put their bean bag in the hole, when he goes for his next turn, he will swipe off <laughs> the bean bag, the opponent's bean bag from the board. Thus, yeah eliminating their partial points. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, and, you've, got to, you've got to be in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. And as I was teaching him, you know, this counter strategy also, it was more mentally taxing for him than I had originally planned hmm. because he had to work out, depending on where the opponent's bag was, how to move his body and how to move his paw so he didn't accidentally put the beanbag through the hole. Yes, for them. <laughs> and and you you could really see his brain turning as I would place dummy wrong beanbags at different places. Yeah. And it was it was quite mentally taxing for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Bless him. I bet they're very happy dogs though, because they like to be active, don't they? They like to have an outlet. Yeah. No, and so there's, um, you know, nearly all the beer gardens around here are very dog-friendly. So, you know, like to go hang out. And almost all places around here have cornhole board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd play a little bit. And, yeah, he definitely enjoys, you know, being part of the action. Yeah. As as did my Dutch Shepherd, for sure. Yeah. Oh, they do, they like, most dogs, don't they, just like to be with you and do what you're doing and, and have a good time, you know. And Yeah, absolutely. And it's about, I was thinking it's about making memories and making every day the best it can be for, for them, isn't it? Let's just grab every opportunity for fun and, and, and frolics. And um, having said that, time for fun and frolics is raising, <laughs> going getting low. So... I've really enjoyed hearing about all your your adventures with your dogs. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I've I've enjoyed you know your podcast over the years, and oh, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to come on and tell people a little bit more about the sport search and rescue. It might be you know a great addition for some of your listeners. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's the thing, you know, if, if you're listening and you think, oh, I don't think my dog could do that, because I've done that. I've sat there with my dog and gone, oh, I don't, think, I don't think Buddy could do that, you know. And he surprised me when we tried different activities. He surprised me what he could do. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've underestimated you. Yeah, for sure. And um, I've known a lot of people that have been very interested in 
in search and rescue and and maybe they have an appropriate dog now, maybe not, but they're worried about the time commitment. Yeah. Being being on call. I you know, a lot of friends I knew, you know, rushed off, dropped everything, went off to Turkey recently. Yeah. You know, but a lot of people have work commitments, family commitment, you know, yeah. you can't do that. In the sports search and rescue, we often we have many handlers in their 70s and 80s. Wow. And so we really open it up to everyone. If they were on an actual SAR team, you know, there would be an expectation of them being a, needing to carry a, a pack with a lot of water and food and first aid equipment and, you know, walk for miles and miles. Yeah. But for the sport, that's not a requirement. So we really do open it up to so many different types of people in different situations and with so many scent options there is something for nearly every dog yeah yeah so i would i would encourage anyone you know to think about it and 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 try it and reach out to us we have a lot of support for people in the u.s uh or canada who are interested and if you're not in the u.s or canada this is an international sport. There are groups all over. Everybody uses the same rule book. So you'll be able to train and um, test and just about anywhere. Yeah, excellent. Where can people find out more about it online? Um, we, we have a website mm-hmm. and um, I know you'll include that in the yes. show notes. Yes, I will. Um, I will say we're an all-volunteer organization and everyone is doing their best with the website and social media and everything. For people who just want to know about sports search and rescue in general, I would strongly recommend everyone check out the International Rescue Dog Organization, which is iro-dog.org. They have a great website. Um, They also have the rule book and everything else there. It's not our organization, but Again, it's the same rule book. They have all their seminars and trials posted there. They have lots of educational um, material on their site. We have some on ours for sure. We're still building it up. But their website would be a great resource to anybody around the globe. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you ever so much for sharing all that with us. It's, it, you've inspired me and you've, I bet you've inspired many people as well. Thank you very much, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to Melissa. We have all the links you need on the Dogcast Radio site to find out more about the American Rettungshund Sport Association. I hope I'm saying that right. And thanks to Melissa for being such a fascinating guest. If you enjoy unusual sports or hobbies with your dog, you know what to do. Let me know and I'll help you tell everyone else about it. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www dogcastradio.com Research has shown that the most commonly taught first command is sit, which is a useful behaviour to teach, but there's a command your dog should know first. True, when a dog is sitting down, they're not jumping up at visitors, chasing other dogs or running into the road, which are all situations we want to avoid. A reliable sit command can avoid your dog getting into all manner of undesirable circumstances, and it is an important one to teach. But there's another command which can be more vital in keeping your dog happy and healthy. And it is leave. 
Now, you may think that leave command is only of use when your dog fetches a ball back to you and you can ask them to drop it so that you can throw it for them again. However, leave can literally save your dog's life. Imagine this scenario. You have guests over and you serve them a pudding which contains sultanas. We may enjoy sultanas and raisins, but they're highly toxic to dogs and must be avoided at all costs. But your guest is unaware of this and puts their cake down on a table or floor where your dog can reach it. Dogs are often referred to as carnivores, whereas in fact they are omnivores and opportunist omnivores at that. Our dog's wild ancestors needed to make the most of any chance to eat. And that instinct remains strong in modern dogs. So the chances are that if your dog spots unattended food in the house, they will try to eat it. Back to our scenario. Your dog is fast approaching the tasty treat, intent on eating it. There is no way you can move fast enough to physically avert the danger. So your only hope is to issue a command. Leave, which will stop them. Similarly, if you're out on a walk and your dog is approaching an item they have found and you are unsure whether it poses any risk to them, a quick leave command will ensure they do not try to explore the object. Another situation, you're gripped by a headache and as you pop the painkiller from its packaging, it spins out of your fingers and falls onto the floor. Opportunistic Fido is on it straight away and the last thing we want is for him to swallow that pill. Once more, it's leave to the rescue. If you teach the leave command effectively, your dog will even be willing to spit out something they already have in their mouth. All our dogs have learned this behaviour, although they implemented it differently. Our Labrador buddy and Bichon Frise star would spit out an item and then accept a treat in exchange for the item, or we would give them permission to pick the item up again if it turned out to be safe. Whereas our current dog Mischief, a German Spitzklein, will happily spit out an item but then requires a treat, whether she is allowed the item back or not, which I think is clever and quite right, actually. After all, she has done the behaviour and thus earned the treat. This reliable leave behaviour avoids getting into that awful situation of attempting to pry open your dog's jaws to retrieve something from their mouth. Not only will this unnecessarily confrontational approach damage your relationship with your dog, It also poses the danger of injuring your dog's jaws or mouth, and you could also wind up being bitten. Clearly, a leave command is a crucial one. But how do we teach it? First of all, don't make the mistake of waiting until you need the command and then yell, leave, repeatedly at your dog. This is pointless and, in fact, counterproductive. Instead, as soon as you have your puppy or dog, start instilling what leave means. If you've already had your dog for a while, it doesn't matter. Start teaching this today. We want the leave command to have the effect of stopping the dog from eating or exploring something they are near or approaching. The simplest way to do this is to tempt your dog away from the something. Start with the something being a fairly boring low value item such as a piece of their kibble. Have the piece of kibble in your hand and show it to your dog. But if they approach it, Curl your fingers around the piece of kibble to stop them accessing it. They may nudge your hand, paw at it, whine or bark, but ignore their reaction and keep your hand curled closed. Eventually, and how long it takes will depend on many factors, your dog will lose interest and move or look away from your hand. At that point, with your other hand, reward them with a tasty, higher value treat. Thereby, we are teaching two lessons. We are laying the foundations of leave 
and that leaving something brings rewards. Repeat this simple sequence a few times. Show the dog the boring treat, deny access, reward with a good treat when the dog moves or looks away from the boring treat. Keep training sessions short, especially if your dog is young. Keep them fun and positive. Reward the behaviour you want, ignore behaviour which is not your focus. When your dog is reliably looking away from the boring treat, wait for them to move away from the boring treat before you reward them. When they are reliably moving away, add the word leave as they move away and repeat to allow them to associate the behaviour with the word. You can gradually build up to putting the boring treat on the floor while telling your dog to leave and then reward the dog with the good treat while you pick up the boring treat. You can extend and reinforce this behaviour by practising in other rooms, in your garden or while out on a walk and you can make the item to be left a little more tempting as long as the reward is still better than the item to be left. The item to be left could be a toy or other interesting item, such as a smelly sock. Defining interesting in dog terms there. We have established the leave command as meaning leave something boring or even interesting and we will give you something better. With our dog so well that she regularly presents us with items she has found around the house in the hopes that we will give her a tasty treat, which we do, because we are well trained too. She will find a toffee wrapper, which has fallen to the floor from a coffee table, for example. And rather than eating her treasure, she will deposit it onto our laps, knowing that good things will be coming her way. Teaching the leave command is easy. Even very young puppies can understand it. And it might just save your dog's life. That's it until next time. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com I saw a dog the other day with a circle for a head and lines for back and legs. I said to the owner, what on earth breed is that? He looked at me like I was stupid and said, he's some kind of doodle.